0: Hi, do you want to come out and see the writers and creators and showrunners of your favorite shows that are not on TV, but are on alternative TV, like Netflix and Hulu? And do you also want to support 826LA? You can do that, both of those things, concurrently, on February 21st, at a live writers panel with Daredevil showrunners, our old pal, Doug Petrie, and... His co-showrunner, Marco Ramirez, as well as Melissa Rosenberg, the creator and showrunner of Jessica Jones. She also wrote the Twilight movies, so we'll talk about those movies. Need more? Jason Kadams, creator of Parenthood and About a Boy, and the showrunner of Friday Night Lights, and the executive producer of the new Hulu series The Path, which was created by Jessica Goldberg, who will also be there. This is a huge panel. I hope that all of you will come out and ask these guys questions and talk to them and watch me talk to them and watch them talk to each other. It'll be fun. Go to writerspanel.tumblr.com. I put the link up every day in every post. writerspanel.tumblr.com or follow me on twitter.com at ben blacker, and you will find the link for tickets. This is at the 826LA space in Echo Park, Los Angeles, California, America. And uh, seating is very limited. It's a small, cozy, intimate space. Synonyms. Who doesn't love them? Uh, So get your tickets soon. This is, once again, on February 21st, 5 to 7 p.m. doesn't even ruin your day. In fact, it'll make your day. Hope to see you there. Writerspanel.tumblr.com.
1: Now entering Nerdist.com
0: Today's episode is recorded at ATX Television Festival. This year's fest is June 9th through 12th, and you should be there. They've already announced really cool stuff, like an Everybody Loves Raymond reunion, Terriers, The Shield, uh, with a bunch of writers from that show, uh, sort of like you're about to hear today. Um, They've got Norman Lear... They've got Hart Hansen. Come on out. Go to ATXFestival.com. Get your badge June 9th through 12th and come say hello.
2: Begin the introductions with the world-famous uh, and friend of mine, Kevin Williamson. Who yeah.
1: came,
2: uh, and then filling in the row, you guys don't all get the same introduction, sorry, but we're going to bring you out one at a time with Paul stupid. that's one of the reasons I asked if I could be a participant in this panel and moderate it is because I was both a fan of the show, I worked for Kevin for a brief amount of time while he was working on the show, and Greg Berlanti, who worked on the show, is one of my closest friends, and so I got all his stories when he worked on the show. And so I'm the closest one other than Paul Steupin right here who was with the show for the entire time that has heard enough about where all the bodies are buried, of um, well, which I will say nothing today. Um, But the point of this is to talk about the writer's room and to talk about what an experience is working on a show like Dawson's Creek. And so before we even really get started, I think we should just learn who everybody is. I mean, Kevin, you can say hello. Um, Everybody knows who you are. But I think that what I'd love to hear from you guys is introduce yourselves. When did you start? In what capacity did you start as? And, And then we'll go from there.
3: You wrote it. Yes, I wrote it. <laughs> I mean, wait, but with what? Nothing else. That's okay. Okay.
1: <laughs>
3: I figure we'll get to it. Um.
4: I wish I could just pass it on to you, actually, yeah. too. Uh, I I started as a trainee um, at NBC in programming, and I worked my way up through the executive ranks um, to the point where I was running programming at Fox Broadcasting. In the '90s, and then I had my fill of just sitting in an office and coming up with ideas for shows and giving them to producers. And I wanted to sort of go off and do it myself. And I was very fortunate in that the first project that I developed that uh, that really hit the mark out there was, was Dawson's Creek. And then from there, I've uh, I've I've worked on numerous shows. I'm, I'm running a show called Switched at Birth
5: now. For me, so. um. Jenny Vicks. I'm the fraud up here because I worked on the show for a very short period of time um, in the second season between seasons of Sex and the City I had worked on the first season of Sex and the City and we hadn't even aired or been picked up so we didn't know what was going to happen and I had an opportunity to join this fantastic show and it was the first one hour I ever wrote on um, so I learned a, a shit ton about writing one hour, sorry yeah, we're going to swear, we're going to swear um, uh, and then I left when our second season of Sex and the City got picked up so, um that I had a delightful time, and that's that was my my time on the show. Um,
6: I'm Rob Thomas. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Dawson's Creek was my first job. It was um, the very first thing I did. It was uh, season one. I was a staff writer. I had been writing novels before that. Um, it I learned a lot in that first season of Dawson's Creek. Um
7: I started season three on the show. Paul Stupin hired me to be a um, executive story editor, I believe it was based on my Alan Beale <coughs> script. And I stayed there until the bitter end and uh, I became a writer and a producer on that show.
8: Um, I'm Anna Fricky and I started on Dawson's as a PA season three. And relentlessly worked my way up by stalking the writers <laughs> continuously, and it was my first writing job, and I was there until the end. That is fantastic.
2: So obviously, before there's a writer's room, there's a pilot, and you know Kevin and Paul worked on that pilot together, and uh, and I think you guys. The biggest question I want to ask about that to, to keep us. On topic about the room itself is when you were making the show like when you were writing the pilot you don't have a writer's room you don't have anything so you have Paul who's your producer and you have you who as you just said in our other panel sort of pitch like kind of oh I have this great idea about my whole life story that I don't really have a pitch for yet but buy it and uh, so how did you create the story yourself and how did you guys Work as a team, or how did you just like structure it yourself without really having any support?
3: Oh well, I, well I'll start. You can I, he, I after I wrote Scream, which was a scary movie at the time, I sold it, it as a scary movie, and it was a script, script that you know Dimension bought. But before they bought it, they uh, it went around town. Everyone read it, and I had a lot of meetings. I got a lot of meet and, and I was young. I didn't know what was going on. And I got a, I guess Paul had read the script and called my agent and said, I want to meet this guy. And so I went in going, oh, TV. Uh, so it, was my, oh, it was my first t- television meeting with a TV producer. He sat down and said, "Got any ideas for television? And I said, sure. But I did not. I did not. <laughs> and I started making it up on the spot about me growing up. Uh, You know, on a creek with my little camera, little eight millimeter camera, videotaping with my friends, making horror movies, and I just sort of, just I was winging it. And then he kind of said, "Well, can you come back and tell that to the executives?" Uh, And I said, "Sure." So I went home, and then I really started breaking the story. And then I put it all together, and then we sold it.
2: We sold it to Fox. I'll tell that story. Yeah, we sold it to (laughs) Fox. Tell
3: what happened because we sold
4: it to Fox. I thought I was like, and then they didn't. They dumped it. I know. It was, a, it was a weird situation. Well, I remember I, I was in a development deal at, at Sony, and so every day I would just go into my office and uh, read the trades, try to find new writers, and there was this little blurb on like page six or seven of writing, back when it was actually a daily newspaper, and it mentioned this script called Scary Movie that sold, and I don't know, there was something about the description of it or whatever, but I thought to myself, I bet that script's pretty good. And at the time, no one was um, selling feature writers into television, and that seemed to me like, as, as not a writer myself, as an interesting way for uh, for for me to just start generating some projects. So the script came in, and it was it was Kevin's writing. It was so smart and funny and glib and witty, and and scary as scary as shit. And and so I remember thinking to myself, okay, this is this amazing voice who's perfect to create a television series, and we should we should try to do something scary or some interesting young ensemble show. So when Kevin came in, we started talking about that, and then Kevin's life came in, came into the process. And I remember Kevin had such a great vision of Dawson and Joey, and that relationship and that world, even when he was winging it, was amazing. <laughs> And, and as we sat and talked more, it seemed like Dawson should have another friend. We should have three of them. And so out of our conversation, I remember originally we started talking about, back in the day when this name meant something, sort of like a Jim Belushi character. Let's come up with some interesting guy he could talk to. And out of that came Pacey. So, so yeah.
1: I, had some,
4: I, had, I had some relationships with Fox because I had been running I had run programming there. So I took the script for, uh, for Scary Movie, and I walked over to their drama development people, and I had a great way of selling it, and, and I walked into the room, and I said, okay, you've got to read this script, I've got an amazing pitch, just read the first ten pages. And if you don't want to make a series with this guy after ten pages, then, you know, damn it, I don't want to be in business with you. <laughs> and, and it was the whole opening scary as hell <laughs> sequence, and of course everyone who read it was interested so we ultimately had the pitch and we went over and we, we sold it to Fox. And then they chickened it? Yes, then, okay, then this is a story I haven't told. a party of five It was so freaking annoying because we, um, I get this script in and, and from the minute that first draft came into my office, I knew it was amazing. And so I'm bouncing on the air, bouncing off the air. I send it to a younger drama development executive there first who read it quickly, and, and Jonathan Lippman, who is now at, at Jerry Bruckheimer, his name's on a million procedural shows, and Jonathan loved it. And then I'm feeling pretty good about things, and it's around uh, Christmas time, and we keep hearing positive buzz, and I'm literally sitting around waiting for the show to get picked up to pilot. I'm that confident about it. And, and I remember that I get this call, right, or, right I don't know, right before everyone braked, and they told me, it was sort of good news and bad news, they picked up this detective show from me that ultimately lasted one night on one Saturday a year later that I don't even want to talk about. <laughs>
1: and, and then they, they, they said, no, you know what, Dawson's isn't gonna go. And
4: I think, what, he said? I was told because they were struggling with Party Five. They were struggling with Party Five. And they, and they didn't need another one. And they said something like, you know what, it reads like a period piece and I didn't even know what that meant and the feedback I got
3: from my agent is they were
4: like they just didn't get the voices they said no one talks like that so you know Uh, I I know You know thank you very much (laughs) and then it goes into deep freeze for I want to say almost two or three years and then kind of in that that no No. or maybe two years years. I think
2: it
3: was two sorry no but I I think the WB was forming sooner than that. Yeah.
4: Well, I think they... I went off and did this unnamed detective show for a year. Right. And and then I remember the day after that show had its first airing and was canceled, I got a call from Sony. And it couldn't because the screen was 96, Dawson's 98, it was only two years So, before. okay, two so, years. So, it was only two years. Then, then in 97, Okay, 97. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, here. All right, all right.
3: Jordan's here.
4: We we get this call out of the blue, sort of out of the blue, saying you know there's this new network coming up, the WB. They read the script. They have some notes but they love it, and so uh, then they they read it. We did some the original script took place. The, I, I want to say the week before school started in summertime. And they wanted to see a little more of high school, so we moved a little bit into the high school. World. Yeah, and, they, and, they, and it was, a, and we did a presentation, so we had to take out. Yes. We took
3: out the grandma storyline. We took it. We just had Jen show up, and we didn't ever go into Jen's house because we didn't
4: to into her. Right. Jen didn't. Right. Grams didn't exist. We shot it for six days in North Carolina. She did, we just had an extra stand there from the <laughs> Dawson's window.
3: And go,
2: Jennifer. <laughs> From that experience, the, the wise, the wise selection of the WB uh, picking up where Fox blew it, um, a pilot was born, a TV show was born, and season one was born. And Rob is our singular representative other than Kevin of season one. So the two of you, I want to hear about what it was like for a YA novelist. Yeah, and
3: I read the book. <laughs> Well, just, just, just to tell you, I I was convinced that well, we can't do this show like every other show. We have to have like unique voices. We have to have voices, people with visions, and and and, and you had found the you had found the novel. Yes. You gave it to me. I read it. said,
4: so, yeah, this is great. We this thought we could awesome. hire this guy. This guy will be great. Uh, and, and then <laughs> go. Uh, I had uh, um,
6: I had uh, at that time. Uh, Well, I won't bore you with the long story but but an executive at Sony had had read my first novel and he was pushing me to um, move into television and he got me meetings out in LA or he he said that I'm going to give it to a couple producers um, Party of Five which had been on the air and had been like a big show and then this pilot Dawson's Creek and I remember thinking oh I hope Party of Five likes me I hope Party of Five likes me (laughs) And I went to a meeting at Sony, and they showed me the, the presentation uh, to Dawson's Creek, and it changed on a dime. It was, oh god, I hope they like me at Dawson's Creek. This, this, I really want this show. This is the one I want to do. Um, but you have to, I was so green. I, the, the, the only screenplay I had written that had gone out, um, a USC film school graduate who was working for the Texas Film Commission, tried to rent a bedroom in my house here in Austin. I was 20, I don't know, no, I was 30, 31, living in Austin. And um, and he, had, he he asked me to write uh, a romantic comedy that he could shoot for $100,000. And so I had written, I had never written a screenplay before, and what I wrote was 110 pages of dialogue. It was just, it was just one, it was a, a Chinese, uh, restaurant, one night, three couples, it was just hundred and ten pages of conversation. I did not, like, to, to look at a script now, you know, it's like, there are action blocks. I didn't know this. Um, just all dialogue. And like Jon Snow, I knew nothing um, when I showed up there. And yet, for knowing nothing, uh, I certainly had an too much hubris uh, for for knowing nothing. I, I've come up to to Kevin, you know, 15 years later to apologize for what a dickhead staff writer I was. Um, just to, to tell you a little story. I turned in my first script and it was well received. Kevin and Paul liked it. It was I was thrilled, but uh, I don't know. If, this is so dumb. It's so unbelievably dumb. If you ever. Um, see what happens in production with a final draft script. Whenever you move a scene around, or just shift paragraphs around, you get asterisks on the side of the page. And so Kevin had done his pass, as showrunners always do on every show, and if you looked at the script, there were asterisks down every page, asterisks,
1: revision marks. And I felt humiliated. I felt it looked like Kevin
6: had rewritten every word of this script. And I could it, it was such a blow to me. I thought, every writer on the staff is laughing at me because I've been rewritten. And I took it very personally, and, and um, yeah,
3: it, it was. Keep and, in mind, I didn't know what I was doing either. <laughs> it was my first show. I was watching VHS copies of shows, going probably there's 14 minutes till the next commercial break, and I was timing the act for
6: but, um, I, but
3: the thing I did I learned
6: I, I, I learned so much in that first year like how to get in and out of a scene how to cut in as late into a scene and get out as early of a scene so rather than even these just rambling pages of dialogue you have to be you have to do it in 41 and a half minutes you have to learn how to to deliver quickly and it was an incredible learning lesson for
2: me so one of the things that you guys had to do in that first season was you know take the premise of a pilot and and turn it into a show that people would want to watch week to week. And we're going to end this session uh, at the end talking about like signature moments and the debate in writers' room in the writers' room about, you know, should they, would they, could they. Um, <clears throat> but that being said, the one thing, the, the, the vivid thing I remember, um, we'll talk about Pacey and tomorrow at the end of the session. But the other vivid thing I remember is, is that in the finale, episode 13, I think, you know, it was Pace, uh, Joey and Dawson kissed. You had your, your lovers, your teen romance, the, the, the relationship that was supposed to drive you through the whole series, in theory, if you, you know, people, you know, books about people who have done this before, and you had them kiss. And do you remember at all, like, was that just a done deal? Was there debate about it?
3: Well, I, I, re- what I remember is that we were, what I was hoping to do with the show is to make it different than the teen shows that had come before it. It was a coming of age story, and we had seen 90210, I think, was even still on the air, And all of these other shows that James had 15, all these shows I grew up watching, I kind of wanted to defy them a little bit and twist them a little bit and sort of give it a little unique twist. And I always felt like they always kept the couple apart. All these shows kept the couple apart. And I thought, well, why don't we just not do that? Why don't we just bring them together and then pull them apart again, which is what it You know, and I don't know. I I don't remember actually that debate at all. I I just remember that... um, it was just a kiss. It's not like they fell in love. It's not like they got married. They just kissed.
4: I, I remember. was all me, Edward
3: What did that kiss
4: mean? You know, it's like you know. Like, I think we Circle track, circle <laughs> track. I think we all we always knew we were gonna build to to that kind of moment
3: at well, the end. Yeah, we kind of said it early yeah. on that we were gonna build to it, and then that's why we had all that, and that helped us inform all these <laughs> moments of 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 the longing. You know, Joey longed for. Uh, Dawson and I always thought that was, I think, you know, it, I think longing is. I, I always find myself longing for something, I, you know, and I just sort of feel like that's such a great emotion. It's such a great emotional device for storytelling, and I love it when I get involved in a character and I just see them want something and long for it. And I enjoyed that journey, and I felt like we could only pay it. You know, we had to pay it off.
4: And and I think we did this incredible episode where Joey's dad was in prison, and oddly enough, there was a prison right by the sewage treatment facility, right by the airport in North Carolina, which we used. The, The other thing I remember is we were going to use the resuscitation of Jen's granddad, who most of the first season is in a ventilator off in the other room, unconscious. And one of the things we were going to do is around episode 10, he was gonna come back to life, we were gonna to get to know him, fall in love with him as a character, and then he was gonna die, and she would be emotionally distraught, and that would push her toward Dawson's. But as the episodes came on, we couldn't figure out a way to revive Granddad. <laughs> <laughs> so ultimately, we ultimately did in the last episode, where he comes out of his coma for like five minutes, <laughs> and then passes away. So that's
2: the <laughs> Rob, Rob, when you went in to go, I mean, obviously, you, I think Veronica Mars is your next big move. It had its own, uh, it had its own sort of, you know, central love relationship at its core. Did you, did you say, like, I've got to go down this road because this is what I know? Did you say i got to go down the opposite road? Like, what did you take from that experience? Well,
6: what Kevin just talked about, the biggest lesson I learned was to not save stuff. You know, you won't stay on the air. Keep pushing, <laughs> do not delay gratification too long or people will get tired of it. It will get painful to keep watching it. So uh, even, you know, I, I went into a, a deal at 20th and, and, I, and I would consult on shows and it would drive me nuts because they would want to pace things so slowly. I'm like I've been in Kevin Williamson world. Keep it going. Keep keep moving forward, or you will not be on the air to
3: see season two. Um, I think that was you know one of the It's, a good, it's always the question. You know, we did we struggled with that with Vampire Diaries. We were like, well, I just wanted to push, 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 push and tell story, story, twist, 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 story. And you were and there were, people were like, they're gonna run out of story. I was like, no,
2: we're not. That's what you guys said. I don't know how they can keep this up. And we are like, screw you. Yeah, we
3: can. <laughs> And then, then we got *Ron Mars*, which I just have to shout out and say that is one of my favorite shows. <laughs> for
2: every episode. I that, like, when you, if you look at the, the, the annals of Dawson's Creek, um, the yearbook, the legacies that were born and created, I mean, obviously, Paul already talked about what he's gone on to do. Many, many shows, not just Switch to Birth. Rob, um, as all of you know, Veronica Mars, Party Down, now iZombie on TV. What you, I mean, everybody that's worked on this show in some capacity or another has gone on to basically run or co run series of your own. So, why don't you guys talk about, uh, you know, what? Obviously what your legacy is and then uh, and then what like what's one thing that you took from your experience on the show in in terms of running your own show. i will start with you again if Because we're having eye contact. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I like, Hi. Hi, <laughs> okay, how's it going?
8: Um, I mean we're just really awesome, I think. Uh, <laughs> all of our resumes. Uh, I, um, I went on probably most notably to Men and Trees with Jenny, and then Everwood, and went on to create um, Being Human.
1: And, um, you guys watch. <laughs> um, but
8: I think, you know, Dawson's being my first job was so formative because it was like high school in a way. It really took on the personality of the show, and, and I was there for four years, and I really kind of grew up there, and discuss, it was like film school for me, and I really learned from everyone who came through there, and obviously, amazing writers came through there. So, I mean, I'd say one of the most important things I learned from there, appropriately enough, was to love a room. You know, there are some shows who kind of run, you know, sending writers off into separate pods and they don't really communicate. But Dawson's was always really a room-driven show. A really a group of people who stayed together all day every day and really communicated with each other and told stories and shared personal stories and that was a lot of how we built the show up together. And I think that's one of the biggest things i brought on to every show that I've done is like, let's get it all out there early on. Let's be silly with each other and let's share and be personal because that's where the good stuff comes in. Let's not be guarded because we were certainly not guarded at the creek. Uh, <laughs> well, take we actually should been, <laughs> but too late now.
1: <laughs>
2: well, Gina, then, oh, well, actually before, Gina, before you say anything,
8: and, and
2: I just give like the, 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 10-second advice. I mean, you got in as a PA, and you, as you said, tormented people until they let you write. But, like, you know, a lot of people probably in this audience are looking for that break or wanting that break. Like, what, just give them your, your nugget, your singular nugget of wisdom.
8: I, I mean, I'll actually quote this Tickler, who, you know, who is here in the spirit, and and say what I try to do, which is, if you're trying to break into this business, whatever job you're given, just do that job the best you can. And... Don't sort of be waiting for the next thing to be handed to you. You know, stay hungry and just do whatever job you're given happily. Like, get the lunch (laughs) happily (laughs) (laughs) and try to just try to be positive. And I think Paul was a really great boss in that way. Like, he really wanted people to stay positive and have energy, and he appreciated that. And that's sort of the environment that was fostered there. It's like, let's keep trying.
2: So, Gina, tell, tell the room, this room, a little bit about yourself.
7: Um, Well, I I actually, since I was there when Anna was an assistant, I can say that she was amazing at the job. And I also started that way, too. I was an assistant to Greg Daniels when he created King of the Hill. And so the first, I was going to originally work in comedy, but as we know, women are not funny. (laughs) (laughs) I, like all the male writers that I met at that time were constantly saying to me like you, you need to do like party five or my so-called life and that's gonna be your thing and I was just filled with my 20-something rage and uh, nearing the end of my 20s unfortunately and then sure enough Dawson's Creek came up and it turned out what I learned from that I think is that like everybody I mean not every, I mean there's a show that's the show that you're meant to write and I didn't create this show obviously Kevin did But there was something in me that meshed with this show, and I mean, I've worked on a lot of shows since then, and um, I think the thing about Hannah as a writer on our show was that she was a fan of the show. Like from day one, when I walked into that office, I was like, here's someone who loves this show. And when you love the show, it's much easier to write the show. And in some weird way, I mean, Kevin created Joey Potter, who was a girl in a small town who wanted to, like, get really good grades, and she wanted to get out of this small town. And that was me. So I feel like you have to work so hard in this industry, but sometimes you just get that gift of a show that you understand and you love.
5: And that was what Dawson's was to me, definitely. Thank you, Sheena. Appreciate it. Jenny Mix! Oh, okay, so I... I started in sitcoms, and it is true, women are funny. So I spent a lot of time writing sitcoms. They couldn't figure out why. I did have one boss, we'll go nameless, who said, um, he said, women aren't funny to me, and he had hired me. and hadn't hired me. And I'm like, but I am a woman, and I'm writing on your show. And he said, yeah, but you're not a woman. Like, that's how he made sense of it. I was like, that's, so I'm so bizarre. Um, and and then I went on to do Sex and the City, which I, I think, um, we had shot our first season, but it hadn't gone on the air on HBO yet, so no one had any idea what we were. doing. I mean, we were shooting that; and we had no idea whether it would ever air, or if people would get it. And um, my agent called and said, "There's this opportunity to work on Dawson's Creek," and I jumped at it because I had, as I said, I hadn't done one hour before, and I really loved that first season. So I came in as a fan as well. And the, the funny thing, and then I went on. I'll go back to what I learned from it, but. Um, I then went on from there to go back to Sex and the City and completed out the six years of Sex and the City and then I created a little show called Leap of Faith which lasted for nothing. Um, oh, thanks you guys! <laughs> no, 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 one person. Mars! Uh, it, you know, it, uh, 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 and then uh, I, I um, created a show called Men in Trees. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I, I, did, I just finished running the big C on the show. Um, but what was amazing to me about being in, in that, those Dawson's Creek offices, a couple of things. One, it, everybody, it was a very inclusive place, um, and it was a very fascinating and bizarre place. Like, when I came in, I came in as a um, consulting producer, and the other consulting producer was Mike White. And so Mike White, who's not here, but who's terrific, um, had decided that he he wanted everyone to pretend they were Scientologists (laughs) for the new writer that was coming in. It (laughs) was funny. It was it it was funny. (laughs) It was it was hysterically funny. And then we had Ruben Fleischer, who's now a big director, was answering our phones. Yes, that's right. And like your. He was, an awful, he was very bad at his job. He was not the Anna fricky of answering phones. Um, Anna,
4: by the way, was amazing. <laughs>
5: but what, what struck me was everybody's voice mattered. So if an idea came from Ruben or an idea came from anybody who was around, that became a great idea to run with. Um, and I also thought the thing that I've taken with me from that is, that is about breaking a genre, that it wasn't a show. When I got a call about it, I didn't think, oh, I don't want to work on a teen show. And I think that's what happens now. They isolate shows by genre. This was a show that was just about people who happened to be in high school. And it also taught me a lot about uh, writing one hour. It, that for me, it was about act breaks and things that I had not understood when I was doing sitcom or even Sex in the City because we didn't have commercials and didn't have act breaks. To build an act break is a super hard thing to do, especially that many act breaks. And so it really trained me. So by the time I did Men and Trees, I felt comfortable doing uh, one hour. And I had a really good time. It was a a blast. It was a crazy season. And, you know, Kevin, that was your first season where, you know,
2: season one of Dawson's Creek, you were able to throw a 1,000% of every minute of your time into that. And at the beginning of season two, you were actually directing. And so Paul, who... Is by the way, uh, the, the, one of the great and last of this dying breed and a and necessary breed called the non-writing executive producer, the non-writing showrunner. Um, we should give a shout out to that job because they don't do yeah. it anymore.
3: Also, I always give credit for having all these amazing writers on my staff, but the truth is, this is the man that kind of found them and put them together. And you know, I was—I'm very fortunate because I mean, even look at all this talent. We also have. The same number of people who aren't
5: here. Yeah. That's right. Greg, yeah. Greg, Greg Berlanti, it was his first job when I came on. He was the staff writer at the office next yeah. to me. And he was oh, so enthusiastic, so excited, and had never written for TV before.
3: Well, I got. that's why I got in a lot. You talked about everyone had a voice, and I got in a lot of trouble for that. And you actually gave me a schooling on, because like there'd be co executive a producers, executive producers, you got in trouble too. <laughs> co EPs, yeah. consulting producers, supervising producers, it's staff. A are, there's a hierarchy. From staff writer to story, and I didn't understand it. It was my first show, my second job ever in the business, and I thought I could just talk to a staff writer the same way I could talk to a co-EP. And I thought that the staff writer, it'd be okay, oh, oh you understand this thing, you rewrite it. And the co-EP's like, no, it doesn't work that way. And I had to be schooled. I honestly, you know, there's a respectful way to do things, and I had to understand and learn, and it took me a really, really long time. But that's sort of how Greg Berlany came in as a staff writer and leapfrog to EP, you know? In five minutes. And so there's all the, you know, I just sort of, I would always go and sit by the person who was helping me with that script, you know?
4: We were, I think, really lucky because the quality of the original pilot attracted so many incredible sort of smart voices that, and again, all the people who, who aren't here are, are, are amazing too who are on the show. And I remember in Gina's first script, Gina started and there was another sort of young staff writer by the name of Tom Kapanos who ended up running the show with me several seasons later. And they were both initially a little quiet in the room. And so they were kind of big question marks for Kevin and I in terms of what ultimately they would deliver on the page. So ultimately we decided it was too much of a risk to have each of them write a script that might end up having to be rewritten. So we said, we'll give them each a half of one. We'll give them one script and we'll have them partner. And I remember when that script came in, both halves were friggin' brilliant. And it was just such an an amazing point of joy knowing that we have these brand new writers who are are capable of, of knocking it out of the ballpark. And I think we were lucky in terms of the people in subsequent season two, seasons as well, Um, when they came on. Mike White, who stayed with us, and, and John Feldman, who's gone on to run many shows himself. They were all great.
2: Yeah, Paul did this thing that I remember that I've actually stolen from you, where you had, um, second season, you had writers write the teaser as, like, an audition piece. Now, that pissed it, everyone I off, I know, too. it made the agent so mad. You can't and do everything. it now, because you No, but, you can't I, do it now. But I'm telling you, like, it was a way of saying, like, you read Jenny Bix's teaser, and you're like, oh, she can do it! You know? Right. I
4: For do Maggie a Freeman, I remember
3: reading her sample, it was, samples. It was like, hard,
4: because the dialogue was such an important part of the show... And at the end of the season, when we were looking for new people, we thought, well, let's just have them do a sample scene. And and asking a writer to do that who hasn't been in the room, even if they're really good, it's it's always hard because there's certain rhythms to the dialogue and certain things that people who have been on the show for so long just know intuitively, which which sometimes doesn't come through when a new writer tries tries it for the first time.
2: Um, you know, for just the 30 second, like anybody who is hearing things like writer's room and breaking story and act breaks and all that like there's like literally like, no clue what we're talking about. Um, you know, the writer's room on a drama especially is the collection of people waiting on the show. They all have their various levels. Like Kevin said, you're technically supposed to like talk to the people with the most experience and then the people with the least, you're supposed to kind of sit quietly and docilely and, and absorb and learn. And, um, and you work the stories in the room and then eventually a script gets assigned to a writer who then writes it, then the showrunner will then give notes and, and often rewrite it. But ultimately it's a it's a it's a collaborative experience that has both good and bad sides to it. Um, the Dawson's, in its trajectory had a very very interesting path because it had Kevin as a showrunner and then um, and then it had after a few false starts it had Greg as a showrunner. Oh wait, there
3: was a show, they hired a showrunner for me. Oh well, that's right. We want Don't to say that. I remember not that. say that's right that. I was a baby and they hired someone over me to come in to run the show. And so and I'm being like the child, I'm like, yes, sir, yes sir, yes sir. And I just was just yes and, and right. that lasted
4: about two and a half weeks. Rob you were three three were you weeks. had he
3: been was he? Yeah, gone? yeah, got so there. So what there.
2: Was, there, there. You're You're there. was that a new trying to watch that right?
6: thing? Well I mean I knew you. And time. I I didn't, I didn't have the I didn't know I had the power
3: to say no.
6: Right, um, it, it, was, it felt like you had two masters, um, like because was, Kevin was the voice of the show, yet the guy you were dealing with day-to-day was technically the showrunner, and you were trying to figure out, how can I write something to please
3: all parties? I remember you and John Feldman came to me and said, we came to work on the show because of you. And, I, and that actually encouraged me and gave me empowered me to sort of, you know. Yeah, they don't just let you be a showrunner. We, yeah. if you create the show, they're
2: usually they're like, you're nice, you're sweet. Thank you for your hard work. And then now we're gonna hire this super experienced person to come in on top of you, and and you kind of have to listen to them a little bit. And and that's how Dawson's kind of started.
4: But I remember too, to the WB's credit, um, the that that weird marriage. Wasn't really working all together too well And, and I remember after It was after just enough, a, a, a few weeks It, it became clear that, that the dynamic That Kevin and I had Was was weirdly being affected by the presence of this other person and, and it was undermining Kevin's voice And I remember the studio discussed it with the network And the network said, you know what We're putting our faith in, in Kevin and Paul And it was my first show I had never produced anything Kevin, it was Kevin's first show as well but but ultimately it turned out. Yeah, no, it's it was great. The, the networks the networks faith in, in us, which which did it, and I think somewhere in the, yeah. in the audience is Jordan Levin, who ran the network at the time. Who was there? Went on right? to run the network. And so, um, yeah, congratulations for having the foresight to
2: take the show. Um, so basically, what you have is a dynamic where you guys are coming in, say, season three. Gina and, and bright eyed little PA Anna, and we'll talk about creatively season three in a minute because um, I have questions. But <laughs> um, but you know when when Rob did the show there was only a pilot to look at when Jenny did the show there was this delightful little pocket of thirteen episodes when you guys joined the show it was a phenomenon and so what what did it feel like when you walked in? What did you have something specific that you're like, I really like this piece of the show and I'm gonna make sure that I defend it to the end of time or they're going in a bad direction I'm gonna make sure that I that, that I get my ideas in here. Like what were your key? Desires entering into that world.
7: Oh my god. I had just been an assistant and when I left being an assistant Everyone said your job is to make the showrunners job easier, and I didn't have any grand plan I just prepared. So at that point there were 35 episodes of Dawson's Creek in existence, you're right, it was a little bit harder than starting at the beginning. But luckily I had a friend who taped everything and he gave me all the tapes and I still have the terrifying notebook where I basically did a beat sheet for every one of those 35 episodes. And I just started, what Greg Daniels had taught me was like, what is this scene? What is happening? What is the dramatic one sentence encapsulation of that scene and how it moves the story forward? And I just sat there and I was thrilled to be getting this job and I watched all 35 episodes and outlined them. And my first day, we were sitting there in the room and the person who was running the room actually said, okay, we're going to divide up all 35 episodes and everyone's going to watch six.
1: And I was like...
7: Oh, shit. <laughs> I didn't present the notebook of craziness on day one. I didn't want people to know that I had over-prepared so excessively. Um, but I think I probably did show it to Greg Berlanti then, who I was meeting for the first time. And he was the only person at the beginning of season three who had been there for season two. And he had the, the voice of the show, which is, I think, the expression that just came up a second ago. And, and that was what you need and what we needed that year. And by... You know, episode 12, Greg was was in charge and was the show
1: owner.
2: Yeah, the famous story is Greg was is the very first paid TV writing job, season two. He was the only writer that returned for season three, um, with just a nice little bump because they were like, "Hey, well done, son." They brought in at least two people on top of him, and by three months into the the third season, he they were both gone and he was in charge with Paul. It so, was just a, they wouldn't yeah.
3: just let him because he. And once again, I didn't have the experience when I came on. He didn't have the experience, but I remember we knew we were like you know the voice of this show. I had to I had to leave the show at the end of season two. I had other obligations, whatever I was, I came whatever I was doing at the time, and I, I was a you know the show. Greg's the closest thing we have to me
4: in terms of mimicking the voice yeah. of the show, and I just. Greg had the voice and he had the characters and he had the, the perfect sensibility. And it's hard when you're right when you're when you're hiring season 3 and you're replenishing the staff and in this case we, we knew Greg was great and, and we took a shot on two upper level people who didn't have that same sensibility. It's not, and and, it's it, so and hard. it hurt it hurt the show. You
2: need to you need to kind of like live it and breathe it in your core. Like what yeah. Gina you, know, you were saying you were a fan and well,
8: let's get back to you were you a fan?
1: Yeah, it was or was a, it just a, a job? job. <laughs> it was just a job. I was yeah. just
5: trying.
8: No, I was a huge fan. And, you know, I think when I first came on there as the PA, in addition to not wanting to mess up the lunch orders, um, I really just wanted to to learn from these brilliant people. And just in terms of what drew me to the show and what I wanted to preserve when I went on to it was, was that longing. You know, like Kevin was talking about the longing. I think this show is one of the original great shows that really found a way to make that last for a long time, and find new ways of wonder. And I, I grew up in a small town in Maine, and I really identified with these people, and the show was simple in that way, but to do things that simply is complicated, like to really get to the heart of people, and really get at the core emotion is complicated, and it's hard to, to stretch it out over as long as we did. And that's what we were just trying to do, honestly, every day episode to episode
2: and, and now that now that enough time has passed and any any of your feelings could probably be very easily smoothed over what is one thing during your reign there that you feel like yeah that I, I had a part in that and what is one thing that you were like I can't believe we did this and you don't have to answer the second part if you're uncomfortable But it's a group process? We all do it together. So what's the thing you're like, oops? (laughs) Oh oh my god, can I start with this? Because they're
7: both going to be from season (laughs) 3. Obviously the oops is 308, which is the Thanksgiving episode. And this was a moment of terror when we wrote that very quickly. And I mean the good memories when you write something really quickly are just that it was a group effort. But like that was a point of, I just didn't know if we were going to go forward or not. It was a real low point. And then, of course, that same season, um, possibly still one of the creative highlights of my life was when we got to episode 320, and I, I wrote this episode that we did that was sort of a Rashomon style episode that, that we did in the room, and and it was um, it was the episode it's the episode where Dawson finds out that Joey and Pacey are together, and you know we were in the room, and I had, had dutifully broken the whole thing out. And Berlanti just came to the room and said, I want the third act break to be the first act break. And then we just started messing around with it, playing around with it, and it was so fun, leading to the ultimate moment. For me, it was a great moment. I was in Wilmington, and we had table reads. We were still having table reads. And of course, nobody reads the script before the table read, especially not season three, episode 20, like everybody is over it. And um, so they didn't understand the structure of it, and so the, act, the actors and everyone in the room responded in the moment to the story. So when you're in the story room, theoretically, you're, you're making all these decisions based on what you think will work. And they were, you know, perhaps for the only time in my career, like, really excited um, to do the script. And uh, it was an awesome experience. And one of my sisters is a teacher, and I told her about it later. She said, you had a teaching moment, which is what it feels like when you really get through. And that was that was my Dawson's Creek High. <laughs> what about
5: you, NDS? Uh, don't have a precious story? Well, you know, I remember being in the room and talking. We were talking about this last night, trying to figure out the timing of it. But... We were starting to talk about um, a gay character, and this was a really big, th- now it seems so obvious that you can put a gay, t- a gay character on TV, but I walk into this room and they're saying, okay, let's just have a gay teenager. I'm like, wow, this is, I was coming off Sex in the City, I mean, I had seen a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane and fantastic. And in fact, we started to, we're trying to figure out when the kiss actually happened, which I'm sure you guys know. Season three? three mm-hmm. Season three. Yeah. But right. so we have started in two just to build towards that. Right. And it was, it was amazing. And Kev, I remember when you and I were sitting around and in-
2: like just chatting about season two and deciding to add a brother or sister character, you know. So we
3: needed to open up the world. Yeah. we knew in season two and do go beyond just a four. A lot of people said the show is too narrow. There's only four characters. We needed to expand the universe, and we did. We always planned to bring on more characters. And I, I look. This show was always autobiographical, and every single character is one side of my personality. You know, I was sort of the poor kid that grew up on the wrong side of the creek. Now I'm from Goose Creek, North Carolina. I'm from the real Dawson's Creek. And then I was also the wannabe the Spielberg who filmed the shows in the backyard of Set Creek. And then I was also Pacey the jokester who just never got anything right. And then I also felt like I was Jan who was just sort of this broken bird who just wanted out, you know, who just wanted more and better and to be different and to change all my wrongs. And I, was, I felt like I was a little bit of everybody, but there's no one to express the gay side. I was a small kid in a small town who was growing up gay. And there's no secret that their two leads were Dawson and Joey, two male names. It was my only way when I wrote the pilot to sort of express that. Mm-hmm. And 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 then when, we, when the show got popular, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I can do this. And we started talking about it. We started talking about it. Um, I think we brought Annie. Yeah. And and I had to pitch it to the network. I was terrified. I remember on the phone, Suzanne Daniels pitching it. I wanted a gay character. And by the way, I didn't tell them until we already brought Jack on. But I always knew I wanted Jack to come out of the closet. But I wouldn't tell anybody. And I didn't even tell him. And, and, and then I called her up. And I said, I want to do this. It's really important. And I do think it's the evolution of the show. And I do think it's the next step in the show. And I do think we should do it. And and, cause the whole, and I pitched it with the idea that if we bring Jack on, let the audience love him. Let him come out of the closet And suddenly, Joey, he's gonna have to turn to someone, and it'll bring her right back to you know who. And so, she listened to. That'd be Dawson at the time. And she she listened and listened and listened and said, you know what? She suddenly. The thing that I thought, the one thing that you touched on in the writer's room is it was all about us sharing personal stories. It started out with my personal story, but once you get in the writer's room, you start listening to other people's personal stories, and they start to take shape, and suddenly they find their way onto the board, and they find their way into story. And even the you know the coming out story, and, and Susan Daniels was brilliant at the network at the time, and she said, just make sure you tell Joey's perspective. Don't make it just a coming out story. We've seen the coming out story. Make sure that we see Joey's Reaction to it. I want to see it through Joey's eyes. This young girl who thinks she's in love with this guy. And,
2: and it was so beautiful because it was so it was as deeply personal for Greg at the time because he had actually just gone to to yeah, parents' we, the last. And he had years. shared
3: that story with me about the school and the poem, that something really happened for Greg in high school with that uh, the the English teacher and the poem, and I was just riveted to that story. And I'm like, ah, uh, 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 keep talking.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was beautiful. I was with those two when they were working on the episode. We were in New York, actually. And um, and Greg and Kevin, they each split up one episode over the what
3: other. Are they are gonna do it in one episode, and I went no, no. We gotta have Casey, the poem, all of that in one, and we'll end it with with, with Jack denying he's gay, yeah. and then we'll keep it going next week.
2: And then that you know that storyline, which they delivered on in in season three with the kiss beautifully, and you know and made Jack a really wonderfully realized. Gay character on television all the way to the to the end when Deputy Doug uh, got <laughs> up and, uh, that, that won the show Glad Award and and still I think you know Gina was just saying she was just doing a panel today about that and. yeah
7: it was really so exciting and I I did since I guess I've already admitted that I overprepare I rewatched 323 I watched the finale because I I wanted to remember and it was I mean the heart of this show always was just that common Pain of adolescence, and you know, for someone to be going out on that limb for the very first time, and and Jack having the courage to do that, you know, it's just such a universal teenage story. And the fact that we were the first ever gay kiss on TV at the time, I don't even know that we. I mean, I don't. We weren't thinking of it that way. We were just thinking, this is our character, and this is what our show is about, and this is what's going to happen. So. It was it was a wonderful experience, and Kurt Smith did an amazing job.
5: Yes, he did. And, and oh, go ahead, Jenny. Oh, I'm just going to ask: Is it true that you had to, for safety, film across the street, film this kiss from across the street, as well as filming a close-up? It, it may have been a broadcast standards request, yeah, that was, and I
2: yes. think that's something that says yeah, a lot I still get. By the way, I yeah. still get it, them to this day. It's
3: absolutely true, and you know, because we were doing Wasteland at the time, which no one saw, but we actually had a gay kiss on that, which never aired. But we, yeah, they made, they came in, they said, "You can't. You know, we need it to be one second, two seconds, three. We need every." You know,
2: please protect yourself with proper coverage. <laughs> that <over laughs>
7: That was the story, day. I told this already this morning, so I feel like it's not allowed, but basically, I remember being there on the set, and I was told, we gotta to have coverage from across the street, really far back, um, but on the phone, simultaneously, was Greg Berlanti saying, "Me, Gina, this is gonna be a real kiss, I want this to mean something, I want this to be yes. real, and so I felt like that was my responsibility as the person on the set, and uh, luckily, we also had a great director for that episode, uh, Jim Whitmore, I Maybe, or, yeah. yeah, and so because uh, it was only my first year on the show, and I, you know, ha- being on a set a- as a writer is, you know, one of the most horrible things ever <laughs> to happen, yeah. as we all know from adaptation.
3: He you did your episode, then paint uh, away the. He did the Titanic, Jack Nude. So episode. Yeah. yeah.
2: So we'll, we'll we'll go from the highs and then we'll spend a minute at the lows, which you know it's just me my bias, but uh, I want to know how you guys feel about it. Um, and no disrespect to any actors at all in this, this is strictly like a, a, a character story thing. So, Eve. <laughs> Who's <Where's> Eve? <Yeah. laughs> let's talk about Eve, and let's, let's really, let's talk just about, you know, cause the whole, the purpose of this is inside the writers room, right? And some of you were there, and Paul, you were there for all of it, and so I can understand from like a checklist point of view, you've got you know, um, you need to introduce an antagonist. You want to maybe get a sexy young thing to like brighten up the the J. Crew vibe of the creek.
4: But talk about, it about <laughs> talk about. It. Well, again, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs>
1: and, and
4: I think originally, when you, before you start plotting out any of the episodes at the start of every season, you sit around for two or three weeks, and you just talk general things, things you'd like to see, interesting new characters. And the notion came up for Jen to have a sister, and for the sister to be uh, a little more dangerous, a little more of a potentially a hidden agenda, a girl with a secret, someone who is much more sexually experienced than Dawson, and how would those two interact? And so the idea of that seemed like it was a little bit in our wheelhouse. Flash forward to the premiere of season three, where Dawson and Eve are fooling around on the boat, and Eve is doing something to him which causes him to crash the boat into a dock. And that's where I think we started to go wrong, actually. <laughs> <laughs> as a fan, I, was, I was not involved with
2: the show at the time, and I was watching as a fan to see how it continued. And that started, and I was like, Dawson's
1: getting
4: sex out. <laughs> And if <laughs> there were issues with the network, there were issues in terms of how we shot it, obviously. There were issues of what we could show. And again, talking about coverage... We, we talked a thousand times about exactly what would happen, what, what head would go out of what frame, and whatnot. And, and then after that, and again, it, it still seemed racy, but it seemed potentially real. And then around episode three or four, the notion of Eve's hidden agenda started to take over the story. And then it started to, there, there's questions started to pop up and, in terms of, is she really Jen's sister? And then the phrase "long con" came into into the writers' room, and that's a phrase I never want to hear in the writers' room. Again. By the way, that's that's
2: how you get out of casting mistakes. Like yes, and not. that's how that's
4: how everyone involved in the show is potentially asked to leave if it doesn't work. So anyway, I mean, we we, we explored that, and and I think it it brought in sort of a, a different element that got us away from the longing and the more uh, the more universally. Um, you know, just the more universal themes and archetypical themes which our show dealt with so well.
2: And, and you guys, on the end, was that something that was contentious in the room? Or was it like, you know, because I've been in a room, I've come up with some of the worst stories in my life, and been like, this is great! You know, and then and in hindsight been like, I oh, don't know, that was so great. What were you feeling at the time?
7: Oh my God, I am the only person who was in that room, season three. Um, I mean, I think it's like when you're new, and... I don't know that I wish I could say I was the person who had the courage to say absolutely this is a terrible idea I mean it's like be part of being on staff is whatever is on the table at that moment you pitch on that and you try to make the best possible version of that and you know certainly at that point it was my first year on a one-hour show and I mean yeah I I think I honestly in some weird way lucked out because I only wrote half of 305 I never wrote Eve
2: like, I never you know, had to write the character, so it worked out fine for me. Somebody somebody asked me on Twitter, you know, I said, like, what, what questions do you have, what things do you like, what, you know, what sort of still sticks in your craw a little bit. And <clears throat> We'll get to the finale and the choice soon, but um, <laughs> but it was the sort of, the Eve's disappearance, as though none of it had really happened. It was, and I haven't done that um, in my own stuff, you know, like, there's that, there's that character that, you really wanted to make work. It didn't work, and it's only that character's just not there anymore. Um, but was there was there talk about like how to how to pay that off? Or I think we we just moved on. I mean we had. I
7: mean honestly, the truth about season three also is that like I mean I know there is all the stuff about the boat and all that, but you know the end of three oh one I believe is Pacey and Joey on the dock, and Joey's crying and Pacey's comforting her. And you know, in that moment, Greg already knew. We knew that's where we were going. And if you look at it, it's right there, and it's what the season is going to be. And then we knew where we were going for episode 12. So I guess, for me, from my perspective, all that other stuff was just the filler that we needed to make our
2: our core arc work. Yeah, and I, you know, that season re- redeemed itself beautifully with that yeah. relationship, which, kind of, as you said, you know cut to, you know, Josh and Katie on the, on the dock with the swamp thing. Constantly. Yeah, that,
3: I mean, we saw that coming in season one, when they did the biology report. Yeah, you know, and they, had, they had to get wet together in the swamp. <laughs> and we saw it again. I mean, watching the dailies of that, we were like, okay, we, I don't know when this is going to happen, but it's, it's so happening. That's, this is
7: that's all. one of my favorite episodes, because, I mean, it is about an extra credit project. So. And I, and it was but It was, sexy. It was
1: Exactly.
3: exactly, and I thought putting them together and it was really sexy and then you saw the chemistry and then it opened up and then we just put a lid on it. And I thought you guys brilliantly when, uh, is, is that kiss happened at the right time.
2: <laughs> it
7: was. It was. I mean, it was so much fun to write all that stuff. Really
2: well, well, there's also, you know, again, you, you guys may not have the specific answer on this, um, but in writers' rooms there's lots of debates all the time. You know, is something appropriate? Is it inappropriate? Does it go too far? Is it what the fans want, therefore, don't give it to them. Is it what the fans want, therefore, do give it to them. There's all that. And, you know, big big sort of seminal moments on shows like this, of course, is the, 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 the V card, you know, the losing the virginity. And we ended up, you know, as you know, um, Dawson lost his virginity to Jen, which, you know, was a big surprise. And then Joey and Pacey finally got it on But Pacey, of course. We know where he been. Was there a debate about
7: that that you guys remember? I mean, it was always, the Joey Pacey thing was always clear, but I think it doesn't happen till spring break. I want to say it's like in the 4, it's 4.13 or 4, it's like the middle of season four. Um, gosh, I don't, I, you know, I never wrote prom and I never wrote anyone losing their virginity. So we are, we need Maggie Friedman maybe wrote the prom. And
5: well, I think I wrote, I wrote the episode where Jen and Dawson kiss. And, that, and, and I remember, it's funny thinking now that, because I always remember thinking Jen was kind of, I mean, she was a little, I'm just saying, you know? <laughs> She'd been around. Yeah. So her sister really had to have gotten around, <laughs> you know? Because Jen was the dark side of it all, which made it really fun to write.
2: Yeah, I think, um, Anna, you kind of came on board during what we'll call like the college years basically, you know, jumping a shelf in high school and its college existence is big, which leads me to sort of the other. I actually don't have any judgment about Charlie. Uh, uh-huh. because, his name, right? because, I'm sorry, Chad Blackmore was very good looking. Very, very, very good looking. So I, I I, was blinded by that, and I didn't, I don't remember how he played into the story. But, yeah. It's coming, it's coming back to me.
7: He's, he was in a band.
8: He was the brooding musician. Yes. Okay. And, and Pacey was a Stockbroker. How (laughs) did that happen? I I was long gone by then. How did that happen? It's not. It's not Kevin's fault. Uh, When Julie was saying earlier about regrets, I was hoping we would get to the stockbroker part, which I I have deep regrets about. I'll tell you what happened, guys. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Seemed like a good idea? At the time, we were really into that movie, The Boiler Room. (laughs) And we were thinking, you know, a character like Joey would get into a, what's a fast, kind of dirty way to make money, and then he got in over his head, and that guy from Twin Peaks. Was on everybody the from Twin Peaks <laughs> yeah.
7: was on the show yes. on <laughs> like, actually.
8: Yeah, and I mean the commitment
7: was that Pacey would not go to college. And so that you know, we had the restaurant job one season and then uh, and then this other job, which I mean, you know, not everybody gets to go to college. And so and it felt so right for his character in terms of him being just so incredibly, incredibly blazingly intelligent, but not a bookish kind of person, so we were always looking for ways that he could um, be out there in the world and, you know, give us access to different... Well, games. you always wanted
3: Pacey, I always wanted Pacey to have that sort of officer gentleman trajectory, which it was sort of about him, you know, just becoming a gentleman, and be like the whole second season was, you know, Pacey's Pond, as I always referred to it, yeah. because it was really his journey. And it was sort of in him and his relationship with Andy. Yeah, and I'm was, still pissed about Andy cheating, like and all yeah. that. Sense that
2: played, like, we're just not going to skip that. <laughs> no, but I thought
3: Andy. Andy was, you know, brought onto the show with Jack, and Andy was sort of our way to bring Pacey from the into manhood. It was his, it was his journey of how he went from the little, you know. I, I just remember the episode. I forget who wrote it, where he made a C plus or something and he was so excited <laughs> <laughs> and he was so proud of it
1: or something. I don't know,
2: I just uh, I love that, that whole journey.
1: You know, that yes. was really
2: groundbreaking
5: too. Remember that she was, yeah, she was. remember, remember? <laughs> <laughs> it was your idea. But, um, yeah. they, she ran no. through her depression that and... That was all in season three, we, wasn't it? No, season, season two. was no, when we it started. Like we we were talking about a a kid who was t- going to start to take medication. Which it was, was the best.
3: whole. It was of the climate of the country, and it was started out in the press, it was on the news, and we had just sort of we just started talking about that stuff. we' i not sure how the stockbroker thing happened. <laughs> <laughs> a you get in the writers' room. There's this thing called thing. Yes, and you all agree
2: with each other, and you just in a jury room. <laughs> um, all right. So cutting to the end because I want you guys to, to have a chance to have some questions. But like, let's just dip our toes into um, into Paul. You got to the end run of a series, and it was time to wrap it up. So, what do you do?
4: Well, it was lurking ahead for us for so long, and and I think there were so many issues and so many different ways to go. And so I think as we were progressing toward, there were there were disagreements between, and there there, were, there was a big conflict between Dawson and Pacey, and the episode before the final two hour was um, was originally intended as as the season ender. And then as that was being written and formulated, the thought came up, and I think it was originally generated by the network, but we all got excited about it as well, that it would be fantastic to get Kevin back to do a, you know, to do a, a spectacular two hour which really wrapped things up beyond just the, the season finale that would ultimately become the series finale.
2: Wait, that's why there were twenty four episodes? Yes.
4: So, so then the issue became: how can we do it in a way that is still true to the season, but that gives enough creative leeway for Kevin that he didn't have to be so so tied into all of the story specifics that last season. And then out of that came the idea of jumping ahead
3: several seasons, several years. Yeah, they pitched that to me. It wasn't my idea. They came and, and I, was, I was like, "How am I going to do this? I don't know the ins and outs of every character and every." every turn and choice that was made in the last how many seasons, and then by jumping ahead five years, it suddenly gave me a freedom and it it was, was, to go back to my
4: characters that I could I could find a way in. It was spectacular to have Kevin back, and then I remember it was, it was going to be a two-parter, and originally, when Kevin and I started talking, um, it was pretty clear to both of us that it would probably be she and Dawson that would end up. So the first half of that two-hour, Kevin wrote with the understanding and the awareness that it was going to be ultimately those two people who ended up together in our show halfway through i remember kevin calls me and says you know what i changed my mind (laughs)
1: People
2: that have come up to me this weekend to want me to tell you they're very angry (laughs) but there are just as many people i think who are quite happy i remember sitting with you and every day, we were working on a movie, every day, Kevin would be like... Dolls are crazy. <laughs> I don't know, like... I mean, there's an argument to be made for both... I mean, I love my Josh Jackson, but, like, still, there's an argument to be made for both relationships. Every day, for a week. Uh,
3: guys, my mother hates me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she went to her grave hating me for
1: that uh, but I will
3: tell you. It was it was hard, but I really I you know, oh when I, when I said yes, I'm gonna do it, it just doesn't seem to guess the obvious answer. And then the more I thought about it, one else I got into writing the first hour and it with Greg and Maggie and you helped and um, and Maggie Friedman who is not here who should be, and um, I just kept going home going, I don't know, this isn't what the show set out to be Maybe that's where it started, but we've evolved, and this show has turned into something else. And I always wanted this show to be sort of the twist on the teen drama. I always wanted this show to be, to def, you know, to, to sort of be surprising. And I also wanted it to be honest and real, and, 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 and I also wanted to say something about soulmates and what I believe soulmates can be, and that's why I ultimately sort of did it both ways. You know, we find our soulmates in our best friends. We find our soulmates in our partners. We find, it's not always romantic love. And, but at the same time, I wanted to, I sort of feel like Pacey and Joey are soulmates. I think Dawson and Joey are soulmates. I think uh, Pacey and Dawson are soulmates. You know, I think it's a triangle. I think they're all soulmates. I sort of, and and when you leave, when you left the show in that last moment, where they're talking to each other. Everybody you get, had what they wanted. They're a family. They all got what they wanted. Everyone got their fulfillment, and they were all happy. I don't know.
2: We made a decision, and we were sitting in some production office downtown like doing a project that was, was less exciting than the finale of Dawson's Creek. And he said, here's the way I look at it. Like I've been thinking about this a lot. And like right, Dawson always wanted to be a filmmaker. You know, that was his dream. When we met him in that first episode, you know, his introduction was both with Joey Potter, but he was a filmmaker, and his one true love was Spielberg. And (laughs) Casey never thought he'd amount to anything. And being in love with Joey made him realize, or wanting to be good enough for Joey made him realize the kind of man he could be. And so I think that Casey should get what he worked so hard for, and I think Dawson should get what he worked so hard for.
3: And I started to
5: cry.
2: And I was like, that's the most beautiful thing ever. <laughs> And that's the truth. And I, think
3: that's- I love those characters so much. I just wanted to honor each one of them in their own way. And I wanted them to really truly come of age. And that's why I made the decision also that we should kill Jen. <laughs> because, no, listen, it is a, it, no, here's why it was a coming kind of age story. They had dealt with, out of seven, set of episodes, they had dealt with every issue under the sun, the death of a parent, the death, all of this, but they hadn't dealt with the death of someone in their circle, someone in their, oh, you know, it, and that to me was, and tell you, you know, when you deal with death, that's one more way of coming of age, and this was a coming of age story, so what would it be like in a world where one of, where they lost one of their own? And I wanted to deal with that. I wanted to see what that would what that would look like. And it was also an opportunity to push people into it. You know, when someone when you realize life is so precious, you start to truly make decisions. You start making real decisions. And that is what it forced Joey to do, make a real decision. And then when Graham's like, I'll
1: see you soon. <laughs>
3: Sitting in that
4: werewolf office writing that. Thing. A, a mild shout out to Mary Beth Peel because she was, the, she was the, uh, the one parental character who managed to, to, to stay all six seasons. And she moved with, with our gang to Boston at the end of season four. And, and was always her dynamic and her relationship with the gang and was fantastic.
2: So there's a lot of you out there, and I don't know if there's anybody with microphones or anything, but if somebody has a question, throw your hand up and then we'll, we'll work it out. Uh, you, are a pointing, like Karina City. Hi. Hi. First, thank
1: you for end up together.
3: No. Uh, I, <laughs> the question I, is how hard is it to move on uh when
2: you when you were talking with me It was
3: impossible. It was hard. It was so hard I stopped watching. There were tears. It was I cried. I remember um I re- yeah, I remember when I made the decision I was with you, and I, and I you know, we cried. And then I had to go down and tell the kid, I had to go down and tell the cast and I cried then. And then I kind of I I did, I, I probably did it the wrong way, but I disconnected. You know, and I just let it go, and then I watched it. I do remember. I, you know, hate to say this, but I did watch that first episode, season three. And I, I sat in my bedroom and I sobbed, and I just said, "You know, this isn't my show anymore. I don't know who this care. I don't know what this. Why well, don't I?" And I let it go, and I didn't return to the show for many, many, many episodes before I went back and watched it again, and actually was able to. And I think I came back around I, later.
2: Yeah, yeah, and, and you were able to kind of like give the ending of all the characters that you knew and loved so much. And I,
3: t- I tuned in p- periodically, like, you know, Greg, I was, you know, close to uh, Blaney, and he would be like, watch this episode, Kevin, just give it, just watch this one. And I'd watch it and go, okay, that was like really good, all right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the episode, I think, Tom Cavendish wrote right, the episode where the dad died? The ice yes, cone. yes. And I just uh, remember uh, watching, tuning in for that one, and just like crying, and going, like, that was just beautiful.
4: Though I will tell you, that death is not one of the ones I'm more proud of. <laughs> yeah, the ice cream cone. He's driving, <laughs> gonna... licking the ice cream cone, and he licks too hard, and the ice cream cone <laughs> falls down beneath the dashboard, and he the makes acting. a mistake to reach down and try to get it. But our cat was so <laughs> good. It was. was so like, Today it oh, would be texting. Yes, right. And right. but, but Dawson's
2: Creek it's ice creaming.
4: Anyway. <laughs> The episode was fantastic and Tom Tom is an amazing writer, of course went on to create and run Californication for years and years and years.
2: Purple, there
8: you go. Eggplant, aubergine. (laughs)
2: question is was there any opposition from networks about the Andy mental illness storyline or what what were the struggles and hurdles of trying to actually do that at the time we were doing it?
3: I don't recall any. You guys may maybe speak better to that. I do know I feel like it ultimately sacrificed her character and we lost her. Because I felt like there was almost no getting her back after we took her down too too far. But I don't but I think it's continued in season three, did it not? It didn't and that's why I can't recall
5: season three and, and Paul might know more of um, I think when we first talked about it, the issue wasn't um, (coughs) medicating her as much as it was how far were we going to show behavior that was not the norm. And I think that was always the struggle for the character to not sell her out and not make it a character that people couldn't identify with. I do remember getting a a phone call from somebody who worked on the show.
2: There was a script that came out and and somebody who worked on the show from, um, from North Carolina called and said, I had a real problem with this with this story beat and we were like, what? God, sorry, what do we do? And he just said, um, my mother deals with this and you're handling the medication part of it wrong. And we were like right, rightly chastened and and, and, and kind of course corrected right away.
4: It was it was always a, a hard situation when we bring in actors originally to provide basically kind of a temporary love interest for one of our key characters. And, and the character of Andy McPhee originally was going to – there was going to be a short romance with Pacey, and we so fell in love with the actress that we wanted to try to come up with a different way and a different, a different element to explore with her and another way to keep her on the show. And so after we broke she and Pacey up, the, the thought came that we would explore this issue, and it would be interesting and compelling, and we loved love the actress, and it was a way to continue working with her. And, and I think after that, we still loved the actress and still wanted to come up with additional ways to keep her on, and that's when the cheating element came. But by that point, I think we had probably done the character a little bit of a disservice, and it was hard to bring her back after that. But she would have probably been gone at the end of season two if, if we hadn't come up with these different methods of exploration with her. But ultimately, I would have loved to see her last longer on the show. I
2: would say... I. Asked for an Andy scene in the finale and they shot one. I asked Kevin, I was like, you can't have the finale without an Andy scene. Josh and Andy, they need closure. I mean, sorry, facing and Andy, they need closure. And they shot one and it's on the cutting room floor. I think it's on the DVD. Okay, good. I love that character.
3: didn't know. You know, I mean they picked up the show, we shot a presentation, we shot a lot of the episodes, it was a mid-season launch, and I had no idea that they were going to sort of use Dawson's Creek to sort of help launch the network. And so it was sort of like I was sort of surprised at how they embraced it. And I think they did a brilliant job. I mean, because it was sort of Buffy and Dawson's Creek was that one night and they really sort of supported both shows and I don't know, it was a blessed experience, quite
2: frankly. Rob, when you went on to do uh, Veronica Mars, did you get any of the, well, Dawson's did this kind of stuff, or were you able to um,
6: kind
2: of do your No, no, uh,
6: a, a show starring Taye Diggs called Kevin something. Kevin Hart. No, no, not Kevin Hart, <laughs> Kevin,
1: Kevin, Kevin Hill. Kevin Hill. Kevin Hill. Like, that
6: was the show, I mean, it was UPN, uh, my first year, and. That Tay Diggs show, every, that was that got 95 percent of the uh, the promotion, and we were just kind of we were the, their other drama that kind of got just shuttled away. But um, the, the Dawson's Creek experience, that first season, it was I mean even you know 16, 17 years later for me, it was the closest thing I've ever been around to a sensation. Like it hit hard, like in a big way. You knew from the day we uh, launched that. We're, you know, we are an important show on this network. I'm, I've been searching for that thrill uh, ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh,
4: I think to this day in my career, I've never seen, uh, at least in shows that I've been involved with, a show launched and promoted as well as the WB did. They plastered the country, <laughs> and certainly Los Angeles, where we were with billboards, sure. and buses, and, and the image was so iconic and beautiful, and the song, originally the Paula Cole song was used in the WB promos, and ultimately we decided to use it for our main title. But I we feel- We couldn't get I, the original. Yes, we- It was. Are, the Alanis Morissette. And that was a heartbreak, but we embraced Paula Cole, and I feel like the WB kind of made it a hit before it was even on the air, and, and luckily that, that, Campaign created expectations, which I think we, we we managed to to fulfill. But that was an amazing an amazing promotional. Um, I, promotional
6: I did I did put that Paula Cole song into uh, Veronica Mars. that <laughs> I? a well, shout out uh, back to Dawson's Creek. She was uh, she was very angsty, and she sat and played. Uh, songs to underline her feelings and she
4: went straight to the
6: Polychor. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I
4: had her re-record the song about three seasons in, just because I thought it would be fun to freshen it up a little bit. But it wasn't... Ultimately, what she sent in was a little too angsty, angsty and just not... didn't feel right, so we ended up not using it. But... Uh,
2: not know if your favorite show is coming back um, when the season ends and you're waiting on the bubble. question is, as writers trying to end the season not knowing if you're coming back, what's that
6: like? Every season of my career, (laughs) I don't
2: know if you all, uh, did
6: you ever have that struggle
3: on Dawson's Creek? Because I live in that world. Yes and no, I mean, but it's true, it's like what I'm trying to think of, well, you usually don't because you know halfway through, don't you? No. Well,
5: oh, not your yeah, bubble show. a bubble show. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we've all lived
3: there, We've all
4: lived there. You just well, don't know. I mean,
2: we actually, I worked on something where they said, end with a cliffhanger. And we were like, are you sure? Because we don't know about our ratings. We we're like, end with a cliffhanger. And we did. And then they canceled. Oh. And then they forgot to finish the story. I mean, I actually, I got the
7: thrill of working on Parenthood one season. I think i would be anything away way to say that, like, at the end of season five, it was a full season of 22, and, you know, we, there ended up being a season six, and there were additional episodes, but we had to protect for that in the room because we were sitting there thinking, you know, I know, obviously, you know, it was Jason's baby, and he had to protect for that possibility, so every story that we talked about and came up with, had to lead to a place where it could be the end.
3: I think that's the word, the word protect. You kind of protect for, you kind of like, even if you do a cliffhanger, you, you know how you can get out of that cliffhanger, but also if that is the cliffhanger, you kind of hopefully, maybe emotionally resolve, resolve the show a little bit, so that the audience won't feel so unhappy. It's mean. It's mean, but
2: now we're so bad. Pink shirt back in the side It got lauded for, you know, the dialogue being so adult and so shocking, but what actually shocked teenagers is not the dialogue, but the, the Pacey, tomorrow, Miss Jacobs teacher-student thing.
3: It was a very, sort of like in the pilot, they, when she came in and rented Summer 42. There was, you know, I loved that movie. I thought it was just so nostalgic and so sexy. And I wanted the show to sort of have that sort of feeling, this cape side, this sort of summer town, this sort of beach town. And I just wanted to, uh, at the time, there were several storylines in the news where, you know, those situations were happening. And it was just sort of in my head. And I just sort of, Thought, well, what would happen if, you know, let that be the summer of 42 modern day version of it would be, what? And I thought it would be a nice little place to take Pacey. Yeah, you'll never have. <laughs> I do remember the network, the network was very, very supportive of it, but I think they were happy when it was over.
2: Green jacket. I'm sorry. The, the network. Um. In the, in this. In, in which episode? <coughs> oh, in the finale. Uh, Dawson's running around. I need an ending. I need an ending. And somebody suggests walk the dog. Walk the dog. And they also he's you know sitting around with his friends. He's like I couldn't make this stuff up. And did, have you had that feeling? of that, that mirroring
1: you in your experience?
3: Does it mirror your experience? No. Oh. Uh, I don't think so
2: there's there's always I mean every, there's the, the the whole beauty and, and sometimes um, complication of network
3: notes is, is is I did have to come up with walk the dog because they wouldn't let me use the word masturbate. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that,
3: that's where I thought you were going to and I was like, I was trying my head went back to the pilot, which was it was how often do you masturbate, how many times a week? And they made me they said you can't say the word masturbate. And I remember John Feldman, who's not here, came in with a list of. <laughs> the, I mean, he. I said, well, what else can we say? And we went through the whole, like, it was a, everyone had a list of what to call it. And then we just sort of, like, I don't know, we some, we made up off the dog. I don't know why, how it came about. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, obviously, doc music was before social media. And thank God there
8: was no
1: Twitter back then. I'm sure you would agree. Not um, that. <laughs>
2: Oh, Dawson's desktop. Um, so the question is how um, social media, not being in the day and age of social media, were you aware of the polarized factions of the Dawson and Joey versus AC and Joey, and did the fan reaction have any influence on you, or were you just
1: blissfully ignorant?
3: You know, yes and no. I mean, I, I knew that there was a certain audience that wanted AC and a certain audience that wanted Dawson, and you know, and for I, I was a purist. So to me, it's always Dawson, Joey, Dawson, Joey, Dawson, Joey. And but I didn't know. You know, I didn't know the, the percentage. What I really wanted was a crystal ball, and I wanted to pull the entire audience that was still watching the show and go, "Who would you rather Joey end up with?" And it impossible. You know, and even with Twitter, even nowadays, you look at Twitter. That's maybe not a real representation. Those are the fans that really go—the vocal fans. There's still the other audience that never gets on Twitter, and and so you don't know. You know, I wish I had a crystal ball, but I just—we don't. But I did know that there was a big support for both, and I knew it would be. I was nervous. All right, yes. So we
8: have to finish, but I'll oh, go ahead. Emma. I was just going to say we used to get a huge amount of mail and packages and, snail mail, a and mail. mail, cookies, yeah. gifts, cakes, yeah. all sorts of stuff.
4: Right. Sales, but it was Operation oh,
8: yeah. Operation Daisy. Oh,
7: my God, was oh, Operation Operate? That's true. Operation Daisy was, I guess, maybe season five or season six. It was Dawson Joey. It was Dawson Joey fans, and they sent constant daisies, Dawson-Joey. and um. all, all of um, the, and there's an episode maybe when on their first date, Dawson gives Joey a daisy. Like, just oh, okay. up, picks it up and hands it to her.
1: Um, but, I mean,
7: we, this was, I mean, this was we didn't realize at the time that what I mean, the boards, we called them back then. I mean, obviously the fans of this show were so loyal and so devoted. And, you know, we would read them with that terror where you're like, people are criticizing my word choices. I mean, these people are really watching the show. And it was amazing to feel that. Um, but we, you know, we certainly... You know, obviously the uh, the creators had
2: a vision of how to play out the stories, and that's where we went. So that leads me to my final, quickest answer that you can think of, which is either one, the other, or no comment. Um, when the show came to an end, would you, were you rooting for Dawson or Pacey? Anna. Pacey.
4: Pacey. Pacey.
1: Pacey. Pacey. Uh, Dawson. <laughs>